You are listening to the UFO Talker podcast. Come with us as we explore UFOs from the past and the present. With insightful discussions, interviews, and reviews, we will add our voice to the mysteries that have been seen in our skies and oceans for all of human history. Now, here's our host, Michael Ryan. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, episode number four from Studio 7H, my house here in Ontario, Canada. On today's episode, I have a great interview with Blaine Wasselcue about the UFO wave in the Northwest Territories, Canada during 1996-97. And we also have an eyewitness account of a very strange UFO encounter over Baptiste Lake, Ontario in September 2020. But before we get to that, I don't know if you've been following Jeff Bridges recently, but he's had um, cancer and uh, COVID, and the COVID almost, uh, you know, took him totally away. There's a commercial. I highly recommend this commercial. You can go on YouTube and search up Jeff Bridges' um, antibodies. It's about a minute long. Trust me, watch this commercial. It is reaffirming about life. It is unbelievable that good. There's a part of the video where he just looks up into the sunshine and he says, I love being alive, man. It is such a great moment. Highly recommended. It's a great way to start your day. Every day, I think. You know, I've always followed his career. Great actor, great person. More power to you, my brother. And now to give you an update on the 17 UFOs that were spotted in Quebec. Your research department is not that big, because it's me. But um, what's happening is NAV Canada have all of a sudden decided to stop returning my emails. So basically their position is that, you know, I want to talk to the person who originated the report and their policy is that they never give out that personal information. And I tried every which way but Sunday to make it easy for that to happen. But for whatever reason, they have decided that they're going to stick to their policy and not allow any further investigation. So the problem is now we, we can't really ever tell what that person saw. Like, you know, there's a lot of follow-up questions I would like to ask, but for the time being, we'll have to leave it the way it is, as um, unidentified. And there's been loads of those through, throughout the decades, as everybody here knows. We have a new segment called Canadian Aviation Anomalies. And what it is, it's... Uh, the prior week to the release of this podcast, we're going to pick out all the strange happenings that have happened in Canadian civil aviation for you to hear about. So sometimes there's true UFOs in there. Sometimes they're just really weird things that you couldn't believe could really happen. And then also um, you have to keep in mind that, you know, a lot of civil uh, aviation pilots they don't actually like saying they saw a UFO. So kind of how they make it more uh, palatable is they say, um, you know, we saw a weird object that could have been a drone. And that way they're kind of covering all the bases that, you know, it sounds a lot more mainstream and, you know, not that they're going to be questioned by any authorities. So we've included some of those also that seem to me 
to be more UFO than drone, but we will leave that up to your imagination. And wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and I've noticed we've got an unusual amount of listeners in North Carolina and Texas, believe it or not, those two great states, wherever you are, but especially in those states, I want you to sit back in your favorite chair, relax, mix your favorite podtini, and listen to the words now as they fly magically through the air. We'll be right back after this brief commercial. Please support the UFO Talker by following or subscribing to this podcast. If you like the podcast, make sure to leave us a positive review. You can also visit our website at ufotalker.ca. My next guest is Graham from Guelph, Ontario, and he's going to tell us about a sighting he had at Lake Baptiste, Ontario, which is about three and a half hours northeast of Toronto on September 3rd, 2020. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, yeah thanks. Uh, thank you very much for having me. If you could just tell me about your your sighting. Basically, yeah, we were um, just up north. I mean, nothing really was nothing was really different than any other time, right? So yeah. Now we we're uh, up north. Uh, I I had gone to bed. And this basically. was at you're at a, a cottage. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. So my buddy's got a cottage out on Lake Lake Baptiste. It's kind of a well. It's in the bush. You got to go up. You have you got to have four wheel drive to get out there. Some of the hills out there are pretty steep, right? So yep. four wheel driving through the bush and whatever, and then you come out to the cottage, whatever, right? So we were we we're staying there, September third, twenty twenty. Um, yeah. So basically, yeah, uh, I had uh, I had to get up early the next morning, so we kind of gone to bed a little bit earlier that night. Uh, I was on my way to uh, out to the Ottawa Valley the next day, but uh, basically, yeah, kind of, you know, fast out of sleep, and then uh, uh, I was like, "What the heck?" There's like, there's like light shining, and you know, kind of, it kind of disturbed disturbed my sleep, right? And, yeah, because uh, that if in that area, so that's there's like no street lights or anything like no. that. So yeah, you, there's nothing. You noticed. Um, light coming through the window yeah so was it like would it would it have been like a like the strength of a car headlight or what what kind of yeah yeah for sure so um, it's pretty yeah. bright oh yeah it and it was crazy too because where i was it, it was kind of a raised cabin a one single person cabin um and the light was coming in i was like okay wait I kind of clued in. I was like, wait, that's impossible. There's no way lights are shining in here unless my buddies are playing tricks on me. Right. So then I kind of opened my eyes and, uh, like if, if you walk out, you walk out to the deck and then you're, you're raised probably 50 feet above the water. So there's no way in heck there's going to be light shining in and open my eyes. And I kind of look out and I'm like, wait, what the heck is that? That's what, you know, go outside look out at it and i was just kind of like sat there in awe like i <laughs> i got no no explanation to what it is you know i've seen helicopters uh you know i've seen drones but there's no way in heck that was drones right so there was no uh, sound there was no sound in it stayed uh stationary um and this took place for probably about 15 minutes 
um, kind of in the first few minutes, I kind of just stared and kind of studied it. And uh, I didn't know what the heck to think. And I was like, there's no way anybody's going to believe me. So anyways, I pulled out my phone and I started recording it. Um, and then the start of the video there kind of, it starts off with a, a an extreme amount of like kind of little balls, little orbs, whatever in kind of one area. But it was, it was huge in, in person. So the camera kind of doesn't really do it justice. What, what would it have been um, like if you had to hold something at arm's length, like would it be an aspirin or a quarter? Like how big of a, how big would it have been? Uh, that's, that's the weird thing. It's, it's hard to describe about how big it was because it was, it was kind of, it was going small and it was going big and like it, if it would have been out, it would have been, you know, about two or three kilometers away. Um, and then probably about 500, 500 feet off the water. Um, and like I said, staying in the same kind of location and it was just moving around. So, so weird. I've never seen anything move like that. And uh, kind of the video that it took really, I mean, it's the the video speaks for itself. I mean, I've showed I've showed all my friends this, and then you're kind of the first person that I've come out to who's a little bit broader and uh, showed it to you because uh, you know what? Nobody that I've showed it to can give me any sort of answers. So I, I'm just out there trying to find answers. So I've um, so I've uh, looked at the video. And I'm going to place three uh, still images in the show notes that so people listening can take a look at it. But definitely um, it is very, very unusual because, like you're saying, it's not any kind of aircraft. Um, you know, it, it would. I can't imagine it being a drone It's because it's five kind of orb-like objects that keep moving in different patterns and at one right. point it makes a triangle and then other other kind of um you know it's just it's yeah. just weird i can't imagine anything anything doing that and then also um in the video when you raise uh, raise the uh the brightness you can see kind of a like a cloud of light it's hard to describe but a cloud of light that kind of hangs around all of the the orbs yep. of light it, and, and that's what it was so viewing it in person it was more or less this ball of light that was like sparkling in this it, it, like as i'm looking at it it was like literally like sparkling like fusion plasma like kind of the same ultraviolet rays that you get while you're welding like it was extremely bright but um i, I, I honestly like, and what I, what like I what color was it it was like a bright white blue. I would; those are the kind of the two two colors that stood out the most. Yeah, for sure, bright white and blue. And how long did you see this for in total? So, kind of what had happened was uh, it was about fifteen minutes. So I I went out, looked at it for probably about three or four minutes. I got the video out. I started recording it and then kind of, you know, what is that, right? And then kind of midway through, I kind of did a little bit of a hiccup because I was like, wait, no, this, this, I honestly don't think this is 
from here. <laughs> and then, uh, so kind of after the video, I just kind of stood there kind of flabbergasted. And then I was, I was like, I kind of erred on the side of caution. And I was like, okay, I, I don't know what the heck to do. So I'm going to go right back to bed. And then kind of went, <laughs> I remember laying in bed. I'm like, okay, no, this is just a, this is just a dream kind of thing. Right. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll open my eyes and I'll see if it's still here. I remember, remember opening my eyes. It was still there probably about five minutes later, close my eyes, kind of, I'm like, okay, no, this is, this is still a dream. I'm no, this isn't good. Right. And then I opened my eyes a little bit later and it, it was gone. And, and, and the weird part was, is the day after I had really no, I didn't remember about it the weeks after the months after I just, for some reason it had completely slipped my mind. And I was going through YouTube and watching some random weird videos and stuff like that. And then this one video popped up where it had the lights in the sky. And I was like, wait, I, I swear I have something like that on my phone. And then it took me a little bit of t- time to, to find it. Cause it was so far back in my phone. And then um, I finally found the video and I was sitting down with, uh, with my girlfriend and I'm like, Hey, you, you know, you ever seen this? And she's like, Oh, that that was weird like you should really zoom in on it and then when we zoomed in on it like i'd never done that before when i zoomed in on it and then slowed it down frame for frame seeing these balls of light just instantly transfer or uh i don't know shape shift or whatever the heck you want to call it but basically if you slow it down you can see these balls of orbs or whatever you want to call them instantly shift and you have to frame frame by frame it but you can see there's like a like a tail off the little ball of, of light frame for frame that you can see that they're going from place to place it's it's not one here one here one here no it's going from here to there basically and, instantly right and then the the thing that when i was looking at la- when i when i was looking at last night on my video editor um so there was always five balls Sometimes it looked like there was lots of them, but if I was freeze framing it and counting them, there's always right. five. There's never more <laughs> than five. There's sometimes there's less than five, but right. There's always uh, the most there is is five, which is very odd. Yeah. And yeah, when and- when did it? Um, and how did it leave? Like how did what happened that it disappeared? Well, see the I. Honestly, I'm not too sure because I was kind of, <laughs> I was more or less thinking I was having a bad dream at that point. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't stay outside to watch it. Just, I, I honestly had no clue what the heck it was. Uh, so I, you know, I, I truly didn't see it leave. Um, but uh, I was, I was kind of erring on the side of caution that like, hey, whatever this is, well, <laughs> maybe it can. It probably can see me. If it can do whatever it's doing up there, it it very likely could see me. So I, you know, uh, it's one of those things where you go back and you're like, hey, I probably should have just stayed outside and watched it the whole time. But I, I guess in the, in the instance, that's kind of what I did. I kind of thought I was just having a bad dream. Like, no, I'm, I'm going to go to bed and it's going to be gone, you know? And, and then kind of, you know, looking back at it and being like, wait, no, you know, I, I got, it's like one of those bad dreams where you're like, okay, no, I take a video of it with my phone. I'm going to wake up in the morning. My phone's not going to have any of this on it. And it's like, wait, no, my phone actually, 
I actually got this. This actually happened. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your um, signing yeah. with us. It's very unusual. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of want to get it out there. And um, I there's no way that I'm the only person who saw that. So somebody on Baptiste Lake would have seen that September 3rd, uh, just close to about 12 o'clock. I think it was 11.44. The video was tagged at. So somebody out there must have also seen it too. And I bet you they're wondering too what the heck they saw. My next guest is Blaine Wasselkew, who put together a compilation ebook called Arctic UFOs. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Michael. Glad to be here. Appreciate the invite. Um, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask is uh, before we get into the the meat of the ebook, I I think me and probably a lot of the listeners will be really curious to know what it was like to grow up in Yellowknife Northwest Territories because I don't think I've ever met anybody before from there. Right. You know, it was, uh, I had a great upbringing. I have only positive things to say. You know, Yellowknife is the big city up there, just shy of 20,000 people. Admittedly, when you're growing up in Yellowknife, you know there's a bigger world out there. And when you're a teenager, you, you look forward to being able to, I think, escape or get away to down south. But looking back now with the benefit of, you know, years between you know, me leaving Yellowknife and now where I'm at today, Yellowknife was such a great place to grow up and such a great time to grow up to. It was there's such a, I mean, a great community, but just everything you realize after the fact, especially like comparison to big cities down south, there's just so many so many amazing benefits to being in the in the north in the arctic in the tundra you know in the small community and the things we take for granted up there like well northern lights in the sky every day which i would give anything to see today i can't even tell you the last time i saw those or the you know yeah it's cold in the winter but it's amazing in the summer there's 24-hour daylight it's incredible it was i wouldn't change my upbringing for anything and yellowknife is such a it really is such a magical place. The North is incredible and you have to really see it and experience it to know what that means. But I highly recommend anybody who ever has even the remote inkling to, to travel up North, take the trip, go experience it for yourself. It's pretty incredible. I guess another thing I've heard also is um, there, there's a different sense of community up there because there's a lot of um, indigenous people um, there's a, a different sense of community and also kind of uh, when they report on these UFO things. So the, in a lot of their heritage, it's all, it's not written down. It's all passed on. So they take telling the truth or keeping those stories alive very seriously. Absolutely. And that's the, the word used at the end there is keep the stories. And that doesn't, suggest you know fictional made-up stories it's that's the actual history of the indigenous people that it's told it's passed down verbally and it's pretty incredible i mean they have hundreds thousands of years of history that they maintain and pass along to the next generation via their stories and i guess the other thing is that you'll be able to really explain for us is you know how clear the night sky is up there and how people are really kind of 
aware of what's up there because it's kind of different when you live in a city uh, down south. Oh, it, yeah, it's it's completely different. I was going to say night and day, but that would be maybe a little bit punny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, there's there is no there's no light pollution, right? It's a town. Yellowknife is twenty thousand people, and you can drive in five minutes out of Yellowknife, you're in complete darkness. And that's just Yellowknife. Now, Yellowknife is one city in a huge expanse of area, which is the Northwest Territories. So imagine what it's like up even further up north in the more remote communities where there's maybe a few hundred people, but you are literally in the true wilderness. And up there, so far north, you know, the sky, is, it's, it's impossible to describe how crystal clear the sky is. Even, even clouds and fog like aren't a thing that you see all that often up there i mean ice fog but that's a different story but in the sky you know it's absolutely clear especially in the winter when there's you know 60 to 18 hours of darkness and even more the further north you go i mean it's pitch black but it's a it's a completely clear black canvas so you see stars constellations you see satellites you see planes you see the northern lights there isn't you're getting a very, very unfiltered view of the night sky. And so that obviously lends itself to what we'll be talking about today and how there were all these sightings and folks were seeing what they were seeing pretty clearly. So these, uh, I think we can call this um, an actual wave because if I've got this right, these started in 96 and went on to 1997. Correct. Yeah, the first... The first sightings were really kicked off in November of 95, but then the wave or the flap, as it was called by locally, that really kicked off in January, like in the new year in 96, and really carried out throughout 96 and into 97, but 1996 was definitely the, uh, the heyday for all these sightings for sure. So how, how did you first get involved with this? Like how, how did you get interested in it or how did it come to you? Sure. Well, uh, you know, growing up, I'd always, I'd always been interested in UFOs and things like that, just from, you know, pop culture and movies and reading books and stuff on my own. And then where I was back in Yellowknife, I had recently moved back from university and I set up a shop for myself, slinging websites, which if back in late 95 in Yellowknife was actually a tough sell because a lot of folks didn't even know what the internet was, let alone <laughs> why would they want a website? But as it turned out, there was a story in our local newspaper, the Yellowknifer, about about these sightings that just absolutely, I mean, blew my mind and mesmerized me. Right here's something I was always, you know, really interested about. I pretty voracious reader about these kinds of things, and here in my hometown paper, there were sightings happening. So I quickly became fixated on what was happening, and then there was more stories and more stories in other newspapers across the north. And then within a few weeks of it starting, I thought, you know, I'm sitting up here trying to build and sling websites, I should put a website together to gather all this info. So within, from the time I first read that article, the first article to a month later, I had a website launched originally that I called the UFO Phenomenon NWT website, just to, to document these and also share with folks across the web and so down south, but really worldwide, what was happening in my backyard, which is really exciting for me. And you're... And I took that- off from there. That website, uh, that lasted till 2002. Correct. Yeah. Really, I mean, in fairness, I, I updated for the year or two when this was going on and after, and then it just kind of sat dormant for a few years right before I 
took it down in 2002. Um, so in your book, your ebook, which is a kind of really a compilation of your, your website, you have several articles by several reporters, but there's two reporters that you actually either spoke to in person or interviewed in person. One was um, uh, PJ Harston, and the other one was uh, yep. Jim uh, Bronskill. And tell me what it was like uh, meeting and talking to them during all of this, because there were several reporters that were all uh, writing stories, filing stories on this at the time. There were absolutely. Yeah, it was it was fun. You know, at the time, I mean, at the time I was 20 years old, again, back in my hometown, all this fun and crazy and exciting stuff was going on. So I, again, 20 years old, didn't know any better. I just literally picked up the phone and started calling these reporters and eventually reached, expanded my net, so to speak. And I started calling the RCMP and DND and sending letters again, because I 20 years old, I didn't know any better. That's what you do. You want to find out you pick up the phone and call or those that had email, I would email fax was also helpful, but it was, yeah, it was fun. I, I distinctly remember talking with PJ. I would say he was probably the, at least the initial, uh, the primary reporter that was covering this both through, I mean, his stories were appearing there's stories in the, the yellow knife, but news North, there's a, there's one media company up there that really runs and has all the local community newspapers. And PJ was working for that organization. So I, I had a, a couple different conversations with him, one of which I did transcribe for the website and then the ebook. But it was it, it was fun, but it was also interesting. I mean, he was very open. I remember this. Like he he told me he was getting calls from everywhere, not just folks across the north, but you know, down south, all the different uh, UFO investigative groups like MUFON and others, and even worldwide. So he, I was just one more call. I think he was getting, but quickly realized, you know, that I'm vocal-ish and I'm putting this all together on the website so I don't want to say we had or make it sound like we had any kind of false partnership or anything but pretty quickly I think he he got to know me and where I was coming from and he was happy to always kind of keep me in the loop or answer my questions from you know an eager exuberant 20 year old and it was fun like I say fun like not in a flippant light way but it was it was exciting right all this was going on it was attracting there's how many things that happen up in the north that attract attention from down south so something like this obviously did so it, it was it was exciting too i mean it was definitely the a chat there's a lot of chatter about it around town and you know like not just for folks like myself that were interested in this kind of subject matter but you know regular folks you know i was i remember having conversations with my dad about this and it's probably the only time i've ever talked ufos with my dad but here it was it's happening in the north and it was it was an interesting and exciting time, for sure. There's um, a couple of things that uh, Mr. Harston said that I've jotted down here that really struck me. And one of them was, uh, you know, you kind of touched on it a little bit, is that, you know, p people are going to think this was all, you know, in Yellowknife or somewhere like that. But he pointed out that um, a lot of these sightings were, you know, 30, 40 miles apart. And some of the people reporting the exact same things were in very remote parts of the Northwest Territory. So it's not like someone saw it on TV and then, oh, I saw that too. Like it was a lot of no, people. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, another. It, it was spread out there. I don't remember a lot of sightings actually in or around Yellowknife, to be honest. It was primarily in these smaller 
definitely more spread out communities. Yeah, where, as you said, there was huge distances between the sightings, but the consistency of what people were reporting seeing was was pretty remarkable. And can you just go over what exactly most people were seeing? Like what um, what was the general uh, thing that they reported? Sure. Yeah, it, it's it's fun to imagine there. You know, people might have been seeing actual craft in the sky, but the reality was it can be summed up as flashing lights right above the tree line, which doesn't mean they weren't be seeing them up close. It was off at a distance. So right above the tree line could mean a mile or two in the sky, depending on how far this light was. But there was a light in the sky that would cycle through colors, red, blue, green, et cetera. So it wasn't moving like a satellite or a plane. It would hold its position. Multiple people would see this. And then all of a sudden it would take off, like just shoot off in one direction so fast that it was actually leaving a light trail. Yeah, and that I, was, you know, there were other, oh, go ahead. I, I think that's something that important to point out. And we touched on it a bit earlier was like a lot of these people were very familiar with the night sky. So it's not like, oh, that was a helicopter or an airplane or, uh, you know, a satellite. Absolutely. Like they are all really familiar with, with what's going on up there. Um, I guess another th- uh, thing that, um, that he had pointed out is at Fort Resolution, there was uh, 50 people all at once had seen this all at the same time. So it wasn't like one or two people. Um, sometimes you had right. large groups of people seeing this. Right. That's um, right. That's right. And Fort Res was pretty far, pretty remote there. And it was, yeah, it wasn't, as you said, it was not just one person saying something and someone else saying, oh, I saw that too, or I saw that too. There were, there was an instant, yeah, where there was a good portion of the community because 50 people in Fort Resolution is a, is a decent percentage of the population up there. They all saw the same event at the same time with their own eyes. The other thing is that I found really unique is there were a few actual videotapes of uh, the lights. And I don't know if the link, you have a link in your ebook, which I didn't test, but I don't know if that is still good, but um, it would be. It, it is actually, it is still out there. Yeah. It still works. That would be interesting yeah. because even though it's, you know, these are older cameras that we're talking about. So the yeah. resolution wasn't as good, but you know, these were captured on, um, on video. And I think it was, it, it by was. Multiple yeah, it's people. interesting. Yeah, well, the video in question, the one that the YouTube link still does work, that was actually captured, as you said, on a, I mean, this was in 96. So the quality of the, the hardware equipment at that time wasn't great. So it, was a, it was a VHS camcorder, I believe. So that sets the bar pretty low <laughs> yeah. quality wise. Yeah. But it was captured by, uh, yeah, one of the Northern Rangers up there. And it, it unfortunately, you know, as fun as it is to watch the video and exciting, it, it's tough to make much out. I mean, really, it is a blinking, moving light on a black background. You cannot see anything for framing a reference or context. So unfortunate, but, but you can still, that, that is a video and that was shared with D and D. And I believe it was actually D and D that gave me a copy of the videotape originally that oh. I then digitized and posted online. Well, that, yeah, it's still there. If anyone wants to check it out. That's one thing that um, really super impressed me because you were uh, younger then, and in your ebook, you have, a lot of the correspondence you have between the RCMP 
and the Canadian Defense Department. And, you know, it's even yeah. going back and forth because with the um, uh, the DND, you were actually, <laughs> you know, corresponding with, I think, a, a lieutenant or something like that. Yeah. And I thought, wow, yeah, like, I, I wouldn't that. think even to do that now, probably. And, like, you were a young right. guy. No, you know, today I wouldn't either. But again, back then, and it, that, I think also honestly speaks a bit to the community nature of the North, right? It was, I wasn't sending off some random, a letter to some random address in Ottawa or somewhere down south. I was, like, I knew, I drove by the building every day that I was sending this letter to, right? The same with the RCMP and others. I I knew some of the folks that were replying to me. So I when I sent my quote-unquote official letter in requesting info and or copy of the video. Yeah, they, to their credit and my appreciation, they took the time to send me a reply. And like I said, and they shared a copy of the videotape with me when they were able to as well, which is great. I mean, that, I credit that more to the, yeah, the community of the community spirit of the North. Did you ever get a sense um, if the military was really interested or they were just kind of, you know, uh, placating the, the general population. I think, I think it was more the latter, you know. But I don't mean that again in a dismissive way. Like I know in, at the time, I know there was a new. I believe I, I can't remember the exact role, but there was a new northern commander that had come in to the north from D and D. And from what the sense I got, but really, I think it was more talking with. It might have been PJ or other. Uh, media reporters that they use this or they let, I don't say leverage it, it sounds like they, they see this opportunity to travel around and get to know the community, or he did, right? So the chance, because the DND did travel around to different communities, taking statements and getting, you know, information from witnesses. So it wasn't just lip service. They weren't just receiving the reports, flying away and doing nothing. There actually was follow-up and traveling around to the different communities but they also, I believe, were using it as an opportunity to meet or introduce themselves and meet the you know folks and the elders in the different communities. But so it's win-win though, because the folks were their their statements and what they saw was legitimately being heard and documented by by the military. Yeah. Which was pretty impressive, actually. Um, there are a couple of um, reports in the book that will probably capture a lot of people's attention because mainly, like you're saying, the these were th- the light was seen mainly further away and kind of not right. very close, but there are a few people. There was a reporter, um, Jennifer Pritchett, and she worked for the Northern News Service, where she yeah. had interviewed someone who the object was close enough that she could see that it was a silver gray object. It was fall. It was following her truck, her pickup truck, as she yeah. was driving across yeah. um, an ice road, and she could actually make out. Uh, windows in the craft, right. and so there were a f- yeah. there were a few examples of uh, fairly close um, contact. To- there was there was that one, and there was a few other folks that also claimed you know what they saw was what uh, that was the one more specific uh, description right of a craft. Others had, saw a light much closer, like a few hundred feet above them but following them on their snowmobiles, et cetera, and cars. And you, then the, uh, let's say the traditional story of, a, you know, then the, the car or the snowmobile would turn off and they could not get it started until the light of the craft disappeared. And then it started up fine again. 
there were a handful of those and they make for fascinating reading, but full disclosure, even in the media coverage of those stories, you know, there, there was, I'm not sure how much validity there was to some of this given to some of this. Cause what, I mean, literally one of the stories said, you know, the, when they were being followed or on their snowmobiles, they threw their gloves at the light of the craft in frustration and then it took off and then everything was fine. But I mean, that could very well be true, but also sound, it could sound like just a great story too. I'm not sure, but that was not the norm. Those are the more interesting uh, kind of uh, sidebars or, you know, special events that happened for the most part, it was flashing and high, high speed moving lights in the sky is what was seen. There's um, and also in the the back of your ebook, you have a lot of information where, as you were saying, people were just sending you sending you their experiences or right. things like that. There was one that caught my attention. Um, you know, again, I'm not sure how we should take this with a grain of salt, but a person had brought up something called Project Snowflake which apparently took place at an abandoned farm in um, Alberta. And it was apparently some aerospace company had was testing some vehicle that was saucer shaped or something like that. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I couldn't find anything to back that up. And I, they said it was in a town called uh, Gilton, Alberta, but, I couldn't right. even find there was such a town as that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was much the same. I mean, it definitely, I, re- I remember receiving that and then even, you know, in reading up on it recently, I went back and revisited everything I'd written and included an ebook. Yeah, that was, that definitely stood out. But yeah, there, I can say I've never heard anything more at the time on that or be able to find anything since. So. Yeah, if, Green Assault if, is probably a good way to put up, but yeah. <laughs> if any of our listeners out there have ever heard of Project Snowflake, and then we'll we'll see. Maybe there's no such thing. But, um, I'd love to know more if there is. For I sure. know. Yes. Uh, is so. I always like to ask this question: Is there anything that you would like to say that I haven't haven't asked? You know, the one thing it's I understand the the subject and the topic, you know, of what was seen in the night skies, the couple of things that were interesting to me, especially looking back now with the benefit of 20 plus years time, things I didn't realize or appreciate as much at the time was these sightings in the North were preceded by a wave of sightings in British Columbia in summer of 95. And I, I mean, I, I wrote about that on the website, included in the ebook, but it didn't resonate or register with me, honestly, until I went back to revisit, uh, to reacquaint myself with everything in advance of this, this conversation. And I just thought that was interesting. Again, if that, you know, if you presuppose what was seen was some type of craft, right, from a distance in the sky that is, is what was happening in the Arctic you know, really the continuation of maybe whatever could have been happening or being seen in BC, because if you look on a map, you know, yes, technically the Yukon is right above, right above BC, but just to the right is the NWT where all this was happening. And, you know, Yellowknife, one of our, something that always delights the locals is in the winter, we always, there's always some mystery cars that are brought into town. You see driving around, you don't know what they are because Yellowknife is used for cold weather testing when automobile manufacturers are bringing out new cars. So making a logical leap there, could this potentially have been a continuation from what we've seen in BC? And then 
could this be cold weather testing of something else up there? Why, you know, why was this happening? Why was this seen on these specific communities in such a specific point of time, right? This did not continue beyond, as you said, 96, early 97. Then it just completely died out. This isn't something that continues to this day. It really was constrained in this one-year-ish window. So whatever was being seen was, you know, time-constrained. And it just it's interesting to think about, you know, what what that could mean. It's not just an isolation yellow knife, but a bigger picture when you look to DC, like I said, or others. It just makes you some more interesting questions, interesting theories. But the other thing I, I do want to mention too, and this is something you hit on earlier, it's very true. The folks that we're seeing, you know, in these communities and a lot of the folks, especially the original and more credible sightings and witness statements came from, you know, Aboriginal Indigenous elders. They know what is quote unquote normal or typical in the night sky. They've grown up seeing that as have their ancestors passed down to the stories. They know what shooting stars look like, meteorites, satellites, airplanes, you know, uh, airplane towers are flashing lights, right, to warn not to fly too low. They know what all that looks like. So for folks to have come forward and shared what they did and called and say, look, this is not normal. This is something different or unique or special that's being seen. I think it, we do need to give that more more credence than just an you know average Joe Blow in a downtown or southern community, right, or big city where it's what they see. They, they may not know what they're seeing out there. The folks that reported these statements or reported what they saw were, I think, highly credible for that reason. And I think it's just those, that's an important note to keep in mind. Like, who knows what it was, right? Ultimately, yes, it's flashing lights for the most part. There were the, the, the uh, sidebar stories like we talked about, but it's worth, you know, I feel like that gives it a lot more credence and credibility, just given that extra consideration. So I just call that out. So any folks, your listeners, anyone that checks out the ebook, these, I would say these type of witnesses are maybe more different from what you might expect from your quote unquote typical, you know, witness statements because they know what's normal up there and what, what, what is abnormal and unusual. Yeah. I think uh, just before we uh, wrap this up, I want to mention that Blaine's ebook, Arctic UFOs, it's available on Amazon, Kindle, and Apple's iBooks. And um, Blaine, I'd like to thank you for your time. Thank you, Michael. It's been a lot of fun, and I appreciate the, the chance to walk back in time and then revisit a, a fun time in my life for sure. Thank you. Here are the Canadian Civil Aviation Anomalies for the week of September 12th to 16th, 2022. On September 13th, an Air Canada Boeing 737 MAX 8, flying from Toronto to St. John's at 13,000 feet, reported what looked like a person in a wingsuit near Toronto. On September 15th, an Air Canada Airbus, flying from Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina to Toronto, reported a black object that looked like what could possibly be a drone at an altitude of 4,500 feet near Toronto. Also on September 15th, a Jazz de Havilland DHC-8402, flying from Calgary, Alberta to Castlegar, West Kootenay, British Columbia, reported a possible drone, no altitude given. There was no impact on operations, and all flights proceeded to their destinations without further occurrence. Well, that's our podcast for this week. 
Please share, follow, and do all those good things to help spread the word about UFO Talker. And until next time, this is Michael Ryan. Keep watching the skies. You have been listening to the UFO Talker. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, you can email us at ufotalker at bell.net or visit our website at ufotalker.ca. You can support UFO Talker by using the Buy Me a Coffee app with links on our website and in the show notes. We appreciate every listener. Thank you for your support. This has been a Michael Ryan production. 30.